Today on the Matt Wall Show, the new jobless numbers are in the unemployment numbers, and they are absolutely staggering. We'll talk about those today. And uh, five headlines, including the governor of California saying that the current crisis we're in should be used as an opportunity to usher in a new progressive era, which is exactly what I was talking about on the show yesterday. So as if to prove my point, he came out and said that. We'll talk about it. And today we're going to be canceling snitches. Uh, suddenly, the America is full of snitches. Specifically, I'm talking about the many Americans who are snitching on their neighbors and business owners for not socially distancing correctly. So we're going to talk about all of that and much more on the show today. Uh, but before we do, uh, I want to tell you about our, our friends over at Rock Auto, uh, very good friends of ours on the show, great sponsors of ours. And you know, if something goes wrong with your car uh, or your vehicle right now, especially right now, that, that could be a difficult, in fact, we're, we were going through that right now with, um, with actually both of our vehicles went down at the same time. And, you know, you can't, maybe you, you, you don't want to go out to the uh, store, maybe you're not able to, especially if your car's not working, that could be another problem. And that's why rockauto.com is a solution. You just pull it out, you've got it in your pocket, you go on your phone. Rockauto.com is so much easier than walking into a store and someone demanding quick answers to things like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And then you look stupid and you feel emasculated if you can't answer it right away. Um, and then they're just going to order the parts online anyway. So forget about that. Go to rockauto.com. And that the catalog there is unique. It is remarkably easy to navigate. To navigate. RockAuto.com has everything from engine control modules to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, everything you could possibly want. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest possible prices that they can, and you're always going to have a great selection every time you go. Go to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So that they know that we sent you. Okay. Um, I know people complain to me that I harp on the economic doom and gloom a little bit too much, and maybe I do, but you know, I'm hosting a show, an essential show. Podcasting is an essential service during this pandemic, in case you didn't know. We, we in the media, we're essential. Uh, I'm, of course, everybody's job is essential, right? Everyone's job is essential to them, so uh, th th that distinction doesn't really make any sense to me. I'm... I'm um, Anyway, but I'm hosting a sh I happen to be hosting a show during during a, a period in history where our civilization is willfully plunging itself into economic ruination, which, uh, as I have said and many others have said, is just something that has, has never happened before. No, no, uh, especially certainly in modern history, no country has chosen to do this to itself. So it's hard for me to see that there could be very, very many topics more important than this to talk about, especially because I like to focus on topics that I've always preferred to focus on things that are going to affect your life, impact your life and your family um, in, in very direct ways. Those are the things that I think are, are most important to discuss. Well, here is, here is something. I think the economic ruination of your country is certainly something that will affect you. It'll affect me, it'll affect everybody. Um, and especially when so much of the rest of the media is all but ignoring this. The mass media, the mainstream media, they're talking about the virus, of course, but the economic ruination of our society is not something that they've deemed especially newsworthy. And they're giving us all these projections, these worst case scenario projections that keep changing conspicuously about what the virus might do uh, and and uh, and okay, but what about some projections on where we're headed economically? 
Which brings us to today's big news, the kind of news, again, that is impossible to ignore. I think to talk about anything else would be sort of malpractice, podcasting malpractice. 6.6 million unemployment claims last week. 6.6 million in one week. In one week. Last week was 3 million, which was the highest ever in recorded history. So we have the highest ever recorded history last week. And then the next week, this, this past week, was uh, double the worst ever in history. This is what exponential growth looks like. We keep hearing about exponential growth. Well, here you go. This is what it looks like. By the way, that 3 million figure was about four times worse than the previous worst ever recorded, and that was in 1982. Um, And it was also more than four times worse, the worst recorded during the Great Recession 10 years ago. So this now... Now, and, and then the 6 million number, I know there's a lot of math, hope I'm doing all this right, but uh, the 6 million number then is, is about 10 times worse than the worst uh, that had ever been recorded previous to the economic shutdown. Which brings us nice and symmetrically to 10 million unemployed people officially in two weeks. And I emphasize officially because that doesn't account for all the many millions of people who don't qualify for unemployment haven't applied or tried to apply and weren't able to get through because the websites are crashing all over the country and the, the phone lines are jammed. So what's the actual number? The actual number is much higher than 10 million in two weeks. It's, which means that the, the situation is much worse than it looks and it looks catastrophic. Now, you probably don't need me to keep rephrasing the numbers in different ways, but here's another way of looking at it. 10 million jobs lost in 14 days averages over 700,000 jobs a day lost, which means we're losing more jobs in a day than we lost in a week during the peak of the recession 10 years ago. And these numbers, despite what you may hear, do not represent simply lost money. It represents ruined lives. It represents suffering. It represents mothers and fathers who can't feed their kids. So at this point, anyone who responds to concerns over the economic situation by saying, you're putting money over people, anyone who responds that way must either be a sub-65 IQ moron or a liar. Because there's just no way that a rational, honest, intelligent person could fail to understand, could look at, could look at 10 million unemployed people in 14 days, 700,000 a day, and not understand why we're worried about it. I'm not saying that you have to be dumb or lying to disagree with my position um, that we should try to reopen the economy. I'm not saying that if you support the shutdowns, you're dumb or a liar. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you have to be dumb or lying to argue that those of us who want to reopen the economy while taking precautions at the same time are a bunch of greedy money grubbers. You, how could any? But you still hear this. You're still going to hear this. 10 million unemployed people, you're still going to hear the argument, quote unquote, that if you are raising economic concerns, you're putting money over people, you don't care about people's lives. And most of the people saying that, they're not sub-65 IQ morons. Some of them are. Most of them are just liars. They're trying to shut you down. They don't want this discussion. And then you, you really have to start questioning their motives, especially if we're dealing with people in the media. Why are they so desperate to prevent us from having this discussion? 
and talking about where we're heading, headed economically and projecting, all this projecting going on, well, projecting what this will look like in two, three, four, five months. The hope, of course, is that somehow uh, everything will quickly and quietly and easily just pop back into place when all this is over, like a dislocated shoulder or something. You pop it back into place and go about your day. Economy opens up, jobs come back, uh, companies resurrect themselves from the dead like a mass Easter miracle. And, um, and in the meantime, the government just spends a few trillion bucks here, a few trillion bucks there to keep the, the wheels churning. That's, that's the hope that a lot of people have. And I hope that it happens too. I have no choice but to hope that. Of course, I hope that that's what's ha- what, what will happen. Uh, and I, I, is it impossible? No, of course it's not impossible. It, it is possible in the sense that, in sense that uh, anything that is not inherently illogical is therefore possible. I mean, it's, it's possible that a kangaroo could sprout wings and fly across the, uh, the outback. That's it's possible, technically. Probably not going to happen. And with this, the idea that the economy is going to easily, quickly snap back into place, possible, very unlikely, though, I would think. Uh, the greater possibility at this point the much higher likelihood is that we are causing deep long-term damage to our economy and our society that will not be easily healed or reversed. That's probably what's going to happen. Now, yes, when the shutdowns end, whenever that hap- whenever that should, should occur, uh, there are going to be people who get their jobs back. Some are furloughed, uh, and some of those will actually get their job back. There, there are others that lose the job, will end up getting hired somewhere else. So nobody's suggesting that if we end up with 40 million unemployed people by the end of April, which we very well could, uh, no one's saying that those 40 million people are never going to get another job again. But it it seems very likely that a, a large percentage will be unemployed for quite a while. And even when people start getting jobs again, we're also looking at a reordering, a reshuffling of our economy and our society in a very fundamental way. Uh, we're looking at a corporate takeover, which, yes, has 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 that's been in the process of happening, as we know, in our economy for decades. But now this is the, that the final push that sort of puts the nail in the coffin of a lot of small businesses. Walmart is still hiring, Target is still hiring, Amazon is hiring, while small businesses are getting decimated, completely decimated. Which is, a, which is a big coincidence, isn't it? Isn't it a coincidence that places like, you know, these big, these big retail chains, these big uh, corporate chains, in, in so many cases, they manage to get filed under the essential column while, while, while small businesses are folding up, going under because they're not essential. It's interesting that the companies with money and influence happen to be essential while the small businesses with very little money and very little influence are not. But don't question that, right? Our bureaucratic overlords, they have decreed it, and we will just trust them. It doesn't inspire much hope or confidence either when, on the rare occasion that you hear one of these medical experts who are recommending these steps, when you hear them actually address the economic and societal implications, acknowledge them at least, when they do invariably it really seems that they don't appreciate or understand the consequences of the steps that they're recommending. So, for example, Dr. Fauci, Fauci was uh, being interviewed this morning 
on the Today Show, I believe, and uh, he's, 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 he, he talks about the economic, he, he does mention the economic implications, but look at how he describes and categorizes them. Listen. The Surgeon General was on with us just yesterday and said, my advice is that the 30-day guidelines to stay home from the federal government amount to a national stay-at-home order. Is that how you see it, too? Do you agree? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at what's in those 30-day recommendations of the guidelines, that's essentially what it is. I mean, I know it's difficult, but we're having a lot of suffering, a lot of death. This is inconvenient from an economic and a personal standpoint, but we just have to do it. That is our major weapon against this virus right now. We don't have a vaccine that's deployable. This is the only thing we have, and we can get through it if everybody really leans forward and pushes. Inconvenient. It's inconvenient. You're not allowed to say 10, 10, 10 million jobs lost in two weeks, 700,000 a day for two weeks. Inconvenient. 40 million jobs lost uh, probably by the end of the month. Inconvenient. But on the other hand, you're not allowed to say that the coronavirus is just the flu, which, which it isn't, right? But, but you can't say that. Yet the people coming up with these policies can describe the obliteration of our entire economy as a mere inconvenience. Hey, I know it's inconvenient that you lost your livelihood, your income. You have three kids you can't feed, house you can't pay for, bills you can't pay. Hey, you're a small business owner. I know that you spent your entire life working to this. If you put your whole life and everything in, in, into this business, it's everything you've ever worked for. And in the span of two weeks, you've watched it come crashing down and taken away from you. That's inconvenient. Sorry about the inconvenience. No biggie, just in, just like a stub toe, you know, a speed bump in the road. No big deal. How do we accept that? How is that acceptable? And, and as I said, how much ins- confidence can it really inspire in us? I mean, it's, 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 it's bad enough when we feel like we can't trust the projections, the scientific projections that doctors and scientists are giving us. Uh, but then when, when you realize that these are people who have no grasp on the economic implications and what they actually mean. By the way, uh, I also wanted to mention this before we go to headlines. There is, you know, we look at this as, as uh, the economy versus the healthcare system, and we have to shut down the economy to save the healthcare system so the healthcare system isn't overwhelmed, right? That's the argument anyway. And I think that, that the idea that we have to shut down the entire economy to save the healthcare system is wrong for many reasons that I've described ad nauseum, and there are, there are other options. But there's also another, another aspect to this, that actually what we're finding as uh, Sean Davis over at The Federalist has has, uh, demonstrated on Twitter, this long tweet thread, I'll go through some of these, but what we're finding is that that actually shutting down the economy is having a devastating impact on the healthcare industry too. 
So just reading from uh, Sean Davis on Twitter, he says, get ready, this is going to start happening at hospitals and private medical practices all over the country. In the name of flattening the curve, we are economically destroying healthcare capacity. And he links to an article um, saying the Boston Medical Center has furloughed 700 employees, 10% of the hospital's workforce. And then there's a long thread of this sort of thing happening um, in Ohio. They've got 700 Mercy Health workers lose their jobs. Uh, a Kentucky hospital chain furloughs about 500 employees. Connecticut Children's Hospital furloughs 400. Prisma Health joins growing list of U.S. hospitals to furlough employees. Williamson Medical Center furloughing nearly 200 employees. That's in Tennessee. And it goes on and on. All across the country, we're finding that, that people in the healthcare industry are losing their jobs. Now, we were told that there's going to be, the hospitals are going to be overwhelmed all across the country. And so you're going to, uh, the last thing they're going to be doing is laying people off. Well, no, that's, they're laying people off. And a lot of that is the, is the, gov- is the, is the economic shutdown. So this, this has implications beyond just people losing their jobs, as if you can really put a just in front of that. It also has implications for the healthcare industry, too. Let's move on to five headlines. Before we do, you know, the all-access live shows that we've been telling you about, uh, you really should. If you're, if you're a Daily Wire member, you should tune into one of these. I think it's a lot of fun. And if you're not a Daily Wire member, the member then become a Daily Wire member. I did one yesterday. And uh, just a relaxed vibe, you know, just kind of a Q&A type of thing. But my three-year-old son barged his way into the All Access Live show. And uh, we, I, it, was, it was 8 o'clock at night on the East Coast anyway when we do these. He's supposed to be in bed. He came up. And so he got, he, was, he, was, uh, he, he joined me, a cameo appearance for about three minutes. Which, by the way, uh, my other kids, you know, I have four kids. And at least the other two, the, the youngest is a baby, so she's not really clued in. But the other, my, my other, the, the older kids... When they found out that their little brother got to join me for, uh, you know, for a, a show, they were jealous. And so they want to be on a show, too. So I think tomorrow, actually, at the end of the show on a Friday, I'm going to have my other kids in here and we'll do a little Q&A with them. I'll do a little interview with my, with my kids. Off camera. I'm going to keep them off camera to the side because I don't really want them on camera. But we'll do a little, like I did with my, my son last night on the show, a little, little Q&A. If you have any questions for my kids... Uh, you know, they're six years old. They've got great wisdom, as many kids are these days. My kids are very woke. So any questions you might have, then email them to me, and I'll, maybe I'll ask them. It could be political, ideological, philosophical, theological. These are, these are very wise, intelligent kids. Trust me. Uh, anyway, the All Access Live show. Yes, uh, I got distracted there. All Access Live, and it's, it was originally, originally going to be for our All Access members, but now it's for all Daily Wire members, and so you could tune in. Uh, tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Okay, going to five headlines. Number one, Governor Gavin Newsom of California fielded a question yesterday about whether this crisis is a, quote, opportunity to usher in a new progressive era. And his answer was, yes, yes, absolutely. I'm wondering if you see the potential, as some others in your party do, for a new progressive era, if you want to call it that, in um, national politics and policy, and whether there's the opportunity for additionally progressive steps, um, such as the ones that I listed, 
on the national and state level uh, going forward, you know, because of this crisis. What's the opportunity to your question uh, for reimagining uh, a more progressive era as it relates to uh, capitalism? And I'm, I'm a capitalist. I'm a small business owner. I'm a job creator. Well, my customers are the job creators. I'm a beneficiary of their support. Uh, and that helps build that demand that allows me to hire more people. And so as a former business owner, now governor, uh, I have had that experience and I have that appreciation of the importance uh, of consumer confidence, consumer spending, and a vibrant middle class. And so, yes, forgive me for being long-winded, uh, but absolutely we see this as an opportunity to reshape uh, the way we do business and how we govern. And that shouldn't put shivers up the spines of you know, one party or the other. I think it's an opportunity anew for both parties to come together and meet this moment and really start to think more systemically, not situationally, not just about getting out of this moment, but more sustainably and systemically to consider where we can go together this historic moment if we meet it at a national level and a state and subnational level. So answer is yes. This is exactly what I was talking about on the show yesterday. You see that this is not a conspiracy theory. My, my concern is that the response right now from the government and the acceptance of the response from the populace will set a precedent for future liberal regimes in the United States to exploit and use to shove their ideological vision agenda uh, down our collective throats. And if you listen to them, uh, they'll tell you that, yes, that is exactly what we're going to do. That's exactly the plan. As you just heard from Gavin Newsom there. Number two, Catherine Schwarzenegger, daughter, daughter of Arnold, took to Twitter last night to urge the mayor of Los Angeles to shut down the local farmer's market. Uh, she tweeted at the mayor saying, the farmer's market in Brentwood still being open seems like a huge issue when it comes to social gatherings. Now, this really annoys me because what's the goal here? To shut down every last small business? To ensure that nobody can earn a living unless they work for a corporate chain? God forbid. God forbid somebody buy food from a place that is not Walmart or Target. God forbid they, they patronize something that doesn't have a, the word super center attached to it. There is no reason why. You're at, a, you're at a farmer's market. I don't care if it's crowded. A farmer's market is at least outside. So why would it be more dangerous to be outside at a farmer's market, milling around, even if there are other people, than it is to be inside, crammed in with 100 other shoppers at a Walmart or a Target or someplace like that? Number three, the government over in the UK is unveiling a GPS tracking app that will warn you if sick people are nearby. It will track the sick people for you. And if there's one near you or headed your way, you can dive into the bushes or something to get out of the way. Now, this is supposedly going to be an opt-in situation. So if you're sick, you have, you have to, I guess, sign up to be GPS tracked by the government. And it, it's hoped or expected, according to Sky News, that more than 50% of the population <laughs> will sign up for it. Can you imagine signing up to be tracked by the government? Explicitly signing up for it? Well, I'm sick. Better get my GPS coordinates to uh, the health department. Is that something you could ever see yourself saying? Here's an idea. If you're sick, stay home. Avoid people. That, that way you don't need to feel obligated to be tagged and tracked like some kind of wild animal on a nature preserve. And I, I could also see this backfiring in a big way. It, well, it backfires already in, in terms of civil liberties and privacy and everything. But 
Well, that's not really a backfire. In fact, the, the whole point is to infringe on those things. So that doesn't, it doesn't backfire there. It works. But I can see it backfiring in somebody signs up for this and they're sick and then they figure, well, I can go out in public now because everyone's going to get a warning to get out of my way. So isn't it going to encourage people to leave the house when otherwise they should just be staying in? And what if you have people like me who might consider signing up and telling the health department that I'm sick just so that people will avoid me and get out of the way? That sounds kind of nice. If you're going somewhere, you think it's going to be crowded, you know, you just tell you, you, you register for the thing. You say, you say, I'm sick. You walk into the building. Everyone gets an alert on their phone. Danger, danger, sick person. And they all clear clear a path like Moses parting the water, the Red Sea. Number four, uh, Dr. Fauci uh, was asked when the social distancing will be relaxed. This was yesterday at the White House press conference, and he was asked the question that's on everybody's mind. When are we going to be done with this? And his answer was rather troubling. Listen. Looking beyond when we're on the other side of this curve, are we looking at living with some sort of social distancing guidelines essentially, essentially until there's treatment or a vaccine? For example, people looking forward to the summer talk about you know, going to baseball games, going to concerts. We have political conventions over the summer. Are things like that possible or safe without a vaccine or a treatment in place? Yeah, I think if we get to the part of the curve that uh, Dr. Burke showed yesterday when it goes down to essentially no new cases, no deaths at a period of time, I think it makes sense that you're going to have to relax social dis- uh, distancing. What was that? No new cases or deaths? That's what we're waiting for? Couldn't that be months or years away? Couldn't that potentially never happen if it becomes endemic? So what are you saying? Now, he did say for a period of time. So what's that mean? Are we waiting until there's no deaths or new cases for a day? Well, even that could be many months out. Who knows? And also, there's the question of what does social distancing mean in this context? It, it, it seems clear to me that in this context... It means exactly what we're doing now. In fact, you just you heard in the clip we played earlier of Dr. Fauci, uh, where he was asked about the Surgeon General. The Surgeon General said that, from his perspective, the social distancing guidelines passed down by the federal government amount to a national stay-at-home order. Dr. Fauci said he agrees with that interpretation. So when he says social distancing could last another many months or longer, it seems like he's saying a national stay-at-home order could last that long because that's because he equates the two, apparently. But there's a lot of, there's a lot, it's, it's very unclear. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of ambiguity in this, which is a problem. And it's not enough to say, well, they don't, nobody knows exactly. So you have to cut them some slack, give them, give them some space, let them figure it out. No, that's not good enough. When you're in the process of tearing the, our society apart, and ruining the economy. No, we're not going to cut you slack. You need to be more specific. You just, you need to be. Number five. Okay, how about something not that's uh, non-corona related? You've heard of Tiger King, I'm sure. The Netflix documentary about Joe Exotic, the zoo owner, and the other weirdo zoo owners. Well, it turns out that some of the people portrayed in that documentary do not, shockingly, do not much appreciate their portrayal. 
So reading from a Daily Wire report says, according to People magazine, Bhagavan Doc Antle, who runs a famed exotic animal preserve in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, told TMX News that Tiger King uh, falsely portrayed him as a cult-like polygamist, asserting that the filmmakers misled him on the show's subject. Antle says, remember, this is not a documentary. This is a salacious, outrageous ride through a television show produced to create drama to just tie you into some crazy train wreck of a story between the feud of Carol Baskin and Joe Exotic and the meltdown that ensued. Um, So he says, just to summarize, he says that he thought they were doing a documentary about his charitable conservation work that he's doing in Africa. And, uh, And according to him... He worked with the director for over two years. He was asked hundreds of questions in in these marathon interview sessions. Only a few of the questions were about Joe Exotic and all the soap opera there. Yet they they the the documentary maker tossed out all of that other material that Doc Antle thought the show was about and only included the stuff about Joe Exotic. But I don't know if that's true or not, but it does remind us that when you're watching, and I watched this, this documentary too, uh, it is, I, I have nothing to say that hasn't already been said about it. It's fascinating and entertaining, but it does remind us that uh, when you're watching these Netflix documentaries that are so popular now, especially the true crime stuff, it is, it's entertainment. It's a show. Uh, so to call it a documentary, it's like we call it that almost as a a euphemism. It's really just entertainment. Think about making a murderer and how they were able to, that was, I thought it was a fascinating quote unquote documentary. It was great TV, great entertainment. Now we could talk about the uh, ethical implications of finding entertainment out of a real life murder. That, that, that does feel a little dirty, a little bit wrong. But in any case, um, you are, you know, you watch Making a Murder when that came out and it was, it really made Stephen Avery seem like this, seem like this decent, good guy, innocent man. Uh, and then you sit down, you actually do some research into the case afterwards and you find out that no, he was a mass murdering, uh, well, not mass murdering, but certainly a, a murdering rapist psychopath. That was pretty clear, but they left out a lot of details and they were able to shape the story how they wanted. It very easily probably could have happened too with this Joe Exotic thing. Who knows? Okay. Uh, finally, actually, number six. Let me. I just want to add a bonus, a bonus story I wanted to throw in here. A little bit of good news. Some good news I wanted to put in. A doctor appeared on Laura Ingram's show yesterday and said that he thinks we're nearing the end of the pandemic because of a medical breakthrough that is very significant. Listen to this. You pointed out that not a single patient of yours, COVID patient, uh, that has been on the hydroxy regimen has had to be intubated. For people who don't know what intubated means, please explain quickly. Yeah, so uh, intubated means your respiratory, you're in respiratory failure and you have to be put on a ventilator. Intubation means actually putting the tube down into your trachea and then you're placed on a ventilator for support, respiratory support. We've had, uh, I mentioned the 20 intubations, over most all of them occurred in the first two days. More importantly, no person has received five days or more of the hydroxychloroquine zithro combination has been intubated. The chance of that occurring by chance, according to my sons, Leon and Hunter, who did some stats for me, are 0.000 something. It's, it's ridiculously low depending on how you look at it. Yeah. It's ridiculously low no matter how you look at it. Laura, I think this is the beginning of the end of the pandemic. 
I'm very serious. Oh, wow. This is unbelievable. A little light at the end of the, on the end of the tunnel there, maybe, perhaps. Let's move on to your daily cancellation. Today, we're canceling snitches. All the snitches. America has turned into a nation of snitches. Many local news outlets around the country have articles like this one in WUSA 9's website pertaining to the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. The headline is, who to call if you spot someone not complying with the stay-at-home orders in the DMV? D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Uh, And then it continues, prior to the new stay-at-home orders announced across the DMV today, Maryland State Police tweeted that they've already received 378 calls reporting businesses or individuals not in compliance with the governor's previous executive order. They also confirmed two arrests have been made, one in Charles County, another in Carroll County. And then it says, um, it it goes on and it, it says that among the people reported by their neighbors and arrested was a man who had a barbecue. And then it gives the potential penalties. It says, in D.C., if you're convicted of, of defying these orders, you could face 90 days in prison, a $5,000 fine in Maryland, one year in prison and a $5,000 fine, and then Virginia, one year in prison and a $2,500 fine. Also, an article in the AP, residents snitch on businesses, neighbors amid shutdowns. And uh, gives some examples. In Nag- Nagatuck, Connecticut, resident Gwen Becker said she was mortified when she drove by a golf course and saw a crowd gathered around a food truck and eating at tables together. So she took a video that her friend posted on Facebook, prompting the mayor to shut down the course. And then other other examples of that. And some some states have made snitching pretty easy. This is a form. I want to show you this. Apparently a form. It's a screenshot somebody sent to me. And it looks like it's been taken down since then, maybe because of the public outcry. But here's something from the Idaho state government, a stay-at-home compliance form. And you can see how they made it really easy to just put in the name of the business you, you want to snitch on. And uh, it's a very easy, very easy process. And there's a bunch of other videos. I wouldn't even play them, but a bunch of other videos of, of people being confronted for not following the stay-at-home orders and neighbors threatening to call the cops and everything else. Listen, I know people are scared. Uh, I know they think they're doing the right thing and being a hero by calling the cops. But I can tell you this. There is no disease, there is no pandemic that would ever turn me into the kind of person who calls the cops on my neighbors for having a barbecue. Uh, I don't care if it's an actual apocalypse. I, there are some things that are not worth it. To become the sort of Americans turning your fellow citizens into the authorities for being outside I'm sorry, that is, it's, it's not worth whatever few ounces of safety you think you've purchased for yourself. In fact, I was at a park a few days ago, and I saw a few people playing basketball, which probably they're not supposed to be doing. Am I going to report that to the police? Hell no. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to mind my own business. They're not hurting me, and for all I know, they could be family members, and what's the big deal? I mean, they're going to be together in their house or at a basketball court. Who cares? What's the difference, really? I'm simply not going to be the kind of person who calls the police and says, yeah, there was three people peacefully playing basketball at a a public public hoop many, many feet away from the nearest other person. That's not worth it. Giving up your dignity, not worth it. Giving up your liberty completely and embracing an authoritarian state as we have done is not worth it giving up the entire economy and embracing an economic crash 
that destroys millions of lives. That's not worth it. Lots of things are worth it to stem the spread of a, of a dangerous disease. There are lots of measures that are worth it. But these are just some things that are not worth it. And that's regardless of the threat. We're getting to this place now where it's believed basically that it's okay to do anything, anything at all, to stop people from dying from this disease. From this disease. We'll do anything at all to stop people from dying from this, from this particular thing. But in saner times, when everybody isn't scared, we realize that the whole point of not being a coward, the whole point of being an American who values higher things than safety, is that you don't treat death as the ultimate, absolute worst thing that must be avoided at any and all costs. It's a bad thing that we tried to avoid, but not at any and all costs. There are costs that are too high to pay. From the arguments people are making now, it seems like they're saying there is no cost too high to pay. We will do anything at all. But again, in more rational times, when, when, we're, when we're past all of this, whenever that happens, you know, people are going to look back and, and, and I don't think everyone's going to be very proud of the way that they acted. And those uh, Americans who are peering out their window, calling up the cops, snitching on their neighbors because they see them outside for an unapproved reason. Are they going to feel proud of it? I know right now they feel like they're okay because they're scared. So all the snitches are canceled altogether. Uh, Finally, let's go to some emails. Uh, Let's see here. This is from Michael, says, hello, Matt, serious question. Do you think this is the end of the United States and will Americans have to utilize the Second Amendment um, this year? I am sure millions, if not tens of millions of people have that in the back of their mind. Thanks, love the show. Well, what do you mean the end of the United States? I certainly think something called the United States will continue to exist after this. And uh, in many ways, it will probably look a lot like it does now. But I do think that in the midst of this unprecedented government power grab and the surrender of a scared populace, that we are losing things that we'll probably never get back, and that America is being reshaped as we speak into a more authoritarian state, into a place where small businesses are increasingly going extinct, a small handful of corporations um, are are taking over. Uh, Yes, I, I think that that's what we're looking at. And you might say, as I said, you might say that we were on the way to that already, which is probably true, but we're going to get there a lot sooner now, I believe. Let's see, is there anything else here? This is from uh, No Name Given, but it says, It's easy to complain, Matt, but what is your solution, really? Would you actually let churches gather right now? Do you think that's the right course? Do you actually think churches should be getting together with mass groups of people in a pandemic? This is just the same point I've responded to a million times. Uh, as far as my actual, yes, I have given what I consider to be my, maybe not a solution. I don't know. I don't have a solution. Nobody has a solution. Nobody has a switch you can flip and make everything better. That doesn't exist. So I don't have that. But I do have, I have proposed many. I'm not even going to repeat myself. I've said it so many times. What I think, what what we could do instead, rather than destroying the economy, there are other things we could do. While also taking into account the pandemic and, and taking it very seriously and trying as much as we can to stop the spread without destroying the economy, there are steps we could take. I've suggested some of those steps. So you just go back and read what I've written or listen to other shows and you can find it. Um, do I think the churches should gather right now? Uh, I, I, 
many churches probably should not, especially if you're in a place like New York or you're in a big urban area, you probably shouldn't be. But not every place is New York. I, I, I think there are places in America that are not nearly as hard hit, where there, there are very few confirmed cases. And of course, there could be cases that are not confirmed. Probably are, you know, there's going to be a greater percentage of cases that are not confirmed. But there are places in America that are relatively remote, that are further away, set back, and, um, and uh, don't, don't have the same level of, 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 of a problem. And do I think that they'd be okay to meet for church? Probably. As long as you're taking precautions and you're being smart about it. I'm not telling people that they should go run out and, and have a church. It's not for me to decide. But that's beside the point. Right? What I'm saying, whether or not that's a good idea, I think that's situational. It depends on the situation that you're in. It depends on where you live, what the situation is. I think we have to stop looking for a one-size-fits-all approach. The idea that the problem is exactly the same everywhere in the country and so that we should treat it the same everywhere in the country is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but regardless, it's not about what I think churches should do. What I'm saying is we should not be a country where the government shuts churches by force and arrests pastors for holding church services. Even if what the past, even if if the pastor is, is is in a situation, even if the church is somewhere where probably they shouldn't be meeting, then we can ask them not to meet. We can apply some social pressure. We can encourage people, right? Just like there were so many churches before all of this, before the government started forcing the issue, there were many churches, hundreds, probably most across the country, that had already chosen to stop services for the time being. On their own, they made that decision. Fine, great. Free decision by free people. But I simply don't think we become, we can become, we have become this kind of country, but we should not have become the kind of country where we shut churches by force and arrest pastors, period. I don't think that could ever be worth it. I don't think that's something we should ever do in this country. Uh, and like I said, there, there will come a time in the not-so-distant future when everybody will pretend to agree with that sentiment. When people will start saying things like, you know, give me liberty, give me death, you don't want to trade liberty for safety, those sorts of slogans. Everybody loves those slogans, loves the idea, loves the sentiment. Until the rubber meets the road. Or the you-know-what hits the fan. So I guess we have to decide those slogans, those things that we pretend to live by as Americans, do they really mean anything at all? Or are we just, is that just a lie we tell ourselves? I think that's what we have to try to figure that out. Uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks everybody for watching. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. God bless. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. 
Rents are due, but no one is working. And that's just one of the practical challenges that comes with shutting down the global economy. Fortunately, Socialist Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has the solution, if you can figure out what she's saying. Then, speaking of not speaking well, Joe Biden proposes postponing the DNC, despite widespread fears that time is not exactly on Joe's side. We will examine what the move would mean for the Democratic Party. All that and more. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.